All right, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about, um, we, we started this series, our Christmas series, by talking about the Christmas story. We went through the, almost all the way through the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke. We looked at all the different perspectives of the, gospel, of, of the Christmas story. And, and the, the main point that we made there was when Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, everything changed, right? That, that he ushered in a new way for humanity to relate to God. He, he brought to a close the Old Testament. He was ushering in the, the new covenant um, for God's people to have with God. Uh, his birth was the turning point of world history. He, he, even the way that we record history centers around his birth. Years count down to his birth and count upward from it. Um, we, can, we saw um, through the different perspectives of different people in the, in the Christmas story how when Jesus was inserted into their lives, their entire lives changed. From Mary to Simeon to Joseph, even Herod who had a negative response to Jesus' birth, everything changed. And we even see it in our own lives that when Jesus is... When Jesus is, is added to our lives, when he becomes a part of our lives, everything changes. Where we were once people who just lived for ourselves and only to, to, to satisfy our own needs and our own wants, God's love invades our heart and transforms us. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts, and we are, we are now people who give that love to other people. Everything changed. And then last week, you got to hear Riken speak. And um, he challenged us to open up our lives to other people this Christmas. Um, that we would take the love of God that's been poured into our hearts, that we would put it to work, and, and um, that we would allow interruptions by people in need, and that we would include other people in our Christmas story. That we would be the kind of people who would keep a spare chair at the table and, and a spare hour in our day for other people. That was how Riken ended his message last week when, when he spoke. Today I want to continue along um, that theme because one of the things that we've been learning and kind of camping out on over the last couple months is a very profound truth found in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4 verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God... But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. That last, it's that last phrase I want to focus on. His love is brought to full expression in us. And how does that happen? When we what? When we love each other, right? Now, that last phrase is translated a few different ways depending on what version of the Bible you have. Uh, this one it says, his love is brought to full expression in us. Some versions say that when we love each other, his love is made perfect in us. And other versions say that his love is made complete in us when we love each other. But what is common to every version is the last two words, in us. Which means as amazing as God's love is that would send his son to die for us, it wasn't complete yet. That wasn't the intended end of it. 
It's, it's made complete. It's made whole. It's made, it finds its full expression when we take that love, when we receive it and give it out to others. As amazing as Jesus' love was for us, that would sacrifice himself and go to the cross and stand in our place, paying the price for our sin, that wasn't the full expression. It was intended for us to receive it and give it out to others. God's love doesn't reach the end of its intended course until we love others with it. God's love is brought to full expression when we allow the love of God that invaded our hearts to invade the lives of other people. That's what God's love was intended for, that we wouldn't just receive it and just let it terminate on us. Right? Where we just like, oh, God, thank you so much for your love, and then go out and, you know, never love anyone back, right? That's not what it's intended. It's not intended to terminate on us, but that we would receive it and give it away. So with that understanding and picking up where Ryan left off last week, how do you best love someone for whom you've kept a spare chair at the table and a spare hour in your day? And what I want to do is equip you with something today that's just a very simple principle that is really the beginning of loving someone the way Jesus loved us. And this principle we're going to call the dual narrative principle. The dual narrative principle. The dual narrative principle um, is a very common thing. It's, it's a principle that's applied when there is two groups that are trying to find peace or reconciliation, right? Whether it's two countries who are trying to find peace with each other or two religious groups who are trying to find peace with each other or people from completely different socioeconomic backgrounds. What has to happen is that both parties have to realize that it's not just about their story. There's a dual narrative going on, right? In other words, for two parties to find peace, both parties have to take the time to understand the other party's story. This is true in, in basically every relationship where you, where you want to have peace. Not, maybe not surfacy relationships, but, but deeper relationships. This is true of a husband and wife, who, especially a husband and wife who are at odds with each other. They need to take the time to find out why they're at odds with each other, you know, listen to the other story. Vicki and I have seen the need for this principle and, and this principle actually at work in, in, um, as we're doing premarital counseling with young couples. Because each of them have grown up in two different stories that have shaped who they are, right? Their story has shaped them into the person they've become. Their story has shaped how they view things. Their story has shaped how they process things in their head. It has shaped their values. It has shaped their ethics. It has shaped their morality. And until each of them takes the time to understand the other's story then they're going to have a very difficult time relating to each other. The problem is, most of us are a lot more comfortable staying inside our own narrative rather than investing the time and doing the work of understanding the other person's narrative. Right? It's so much easier and so much more comfortable 
to stay in our story without having to sort of get into someone else's story and put the effort and work into understanding them. Um, when all we do is stay within our own little narrative, then our story becomes the matrix through which we view and judge everything and everyone. When all we do is stay inside our own little narrative, that becomes the matrix through which we judge and view everything and everyone. Then, when you're confronted with someone who has a very different narrative than you, who's been shaped by that narrative and to become someone with opposing views that you ha- than you have, then a couple things can happen. A, we can become judgmental towards that person if we're only viewing them through our narrative. And depending on how passionate or dogmatic you are about your beliefs, you can even become angry. Right? How many have experienced that? Okay. Um, turn over to James chapter 1. I want to tell you when this um, dual narrative principle really began to start to take shape in my life. It was the uh, summer of 2010. The church was only about a year and a half old. And I was delivering a message right here. And um, that, in that message, I made a generalized statement. And actually, to be quite honest, it was an uninformed statement about atheists. So the message gets posted to the website. It gets posted to iTunes. And a couple of days later, I get an email from a guy um, who's an atheist here in town, here in Frisco, named Mark. And um, he had taken offense to that statement that I, had, that I had made. But I have to give him a lot of credit, because rather than just fire off an angry email at me, he actually wanted to get together with me and discuss what I had said. Um, now, I, was, I tried to find the email that he sent, and I couldn't, for some reason I couldn't find it, but here was my response to him, which kind of gives you the framework for his email and, and my response. I said, thank you so much for your comments. I wouldn't dream of ignoring you. In fact, I would love to dialogue with you about your concerns. In the sermon you referred to, I had absolutely no intent of taking a shot at atheists or even minimizing the sincerity of their beliefs. And I sincerely apologize for offending you or others who adhere to your belief system. Yes, I am interested in in discussing this issue more and would love the opportunity to get to know you and gain a greater understanding of your beliefs. Please let me know if there's a time that works best for you. Now, I would love to be able to stand up here and say that that was my immediate response to his email, but I would be totally lying. (laughs) I mean, nobody likes being called out, right? much less a pastor being called out by an atheist, right? I'm right. He's obviously wrong. End of discussion, right? I was tempted to ignore him, but, you know, he had preemptively called me out on that. Um, So what was I to do, right? And just so you don't think more of me than you should, um, that response that I just read was the result of much prayer and fasting, okay? That was not me. I had huge struggles in my flesh, and there was all sorts of stuff going on, but I knew that was the right response after praying. So we set a time and place to meet, and to be perfectly honest, I was really nervous about meeting with the guy. I had no idea what to expect. I had never met with an atheist before. 
um, I've seen some kind of militant atheists, right? Um, and I didn't even, I didn't know what kind, I didn't know if this was going to be a confrontational or what this, I, I don't know what I was walking into. But it was actually a really great meeting. It, it was the dual narrative principle in action. Because I sought to understand him, and he sought to understand me. And what I discovered when we, in our first meeting was that he actually led a group of atheists here in Frisco. Um, the Frisco Atheists is what they call them. And they met like once a week. And, but once a month, they would um, invite a pastor to their group. And it was called Meet the Pastor Night. <laughs> um, but it was really cool. And so that meeting resulted in us being invited to their Meet the Pastor Night the next month. And Vicki and I went and sat down with a, with a bunch of atheists. And that meeting was awesome. It was, again, it was a dual narrative principle at work. After listening to their story and and. You know, to what, and what led them to become atheists, what happened is they wanted to hear our story. And, and that opened the door. We got to share with them our story, and we got to share the, the gospel with them. It was amazing. And, so, and now, Mark and his wife are some of the most faithful attendees to the pub theology meeting we have every month. And um, he himself admitted last month that um, as strongly as he holds to his beliefs as an atheist, he recognizes his journey's not over. He might flip or change his beliefs at some point. Um, and I love Mark. He's, he's one of the most fascinating, really challenging guys I know. Um, and I have to admit, when we first started Pub Theology, I was, I real, and I realized that Mark was going to be a regular attender, I was a little nervous about some of you guys talking with him and, meet, and meeting with him, because I know how passionate you are about your beliefs. <laughs> um, which, it's a good thing to be passionate about your beliefs, right? Um, but as I said in the beginning, when, <laughs> when you're used to living in the comfort of your narrative, and, and then you're confronted with someone who has a very different narrative than you, who has been shaped by that narrative to, to become such a different person and hold op- opposing viewpoints than you do, then we can become judgmental or even angry, right? And yes, we did have a few brief flare-ups of anger at pub theology with a little profanity, um, and it didn't come from the atheists. (laughs) It was the Christians. (laughs) But but what I love about you guys is that you were very quick to, to acknowledge, you know, that you got angry and, and you immediately apologized. I loved that. And, and, I mean, that was awesome. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's just part of grow, growing up. It's part of maturing in our faith and part of growing. And I have to say, I'm really proud of you guys who, who do come to pub theology because I've seen how much you have grown over the last year in, in engaging in this dual narrative principle. Notice what James says in James uh, 1.19. It says, dear brothers, and dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, in the Greek, that means everyone, okay? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
this is how we as believers are to respond to people. Our responsibility as disciples of Jesus is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Notice that it's the listening that comes first, right? It's first, it's primary. But not only is it listed first, it says we are to be quick to listen, right? And speaking comes second, which we are to be slow at, right? I love the way the message translation puts this. It says, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. The problem is that most of us have it turned around, right? We lead with our tongue, follow up with our ears, and anger's right there in the in the front, ready to pounce, right? But if we can actually do what the scripture says, if we can be slow to always having to share our narrative, our story, our experiences, and how you perceive things, then you can slow down enough to listen to someone else. Their, someone else's narrative, their story, their, their perspective, their experiences, how they perceive things and, and, and what they've been shaped by. See, our Christian responsibility is not to just keep moving forward in our own little story. My Christian responsibility is to listen to the stories of others, to learn from them, and to embrace the validity of their story no matter how different it is from mine. And let me tell you why we, why we have this responsibility to do that. It's because Jesus did the same thing. Listen to what Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7 says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What that means is that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, left his story to insert himself into our story. He left heaven, laid down all of his glory, and became a human being. He inserted himself into our story. That's the whole point of the Christmas story. That in an unprecedented move of compassion and generosity, God, the creator of the universe, leaves heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, and he became a human being to feel what we feel and suffer what we suffer. That's why in Hebrews 4, when it describes Jesus as our high priest, our, our mediator between us and God, it says that he understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings that we do. See, Christmas is an incredible reminder that love for others begins when we immerse ourselves into their story. That's exactly what Jesus did. And for that to actually happen, for us to be able to do that, 
We have to be able, we have to die to ourselves, just like Jesus did. Because the next verse says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, we have to die to ourselves and leave the comfort of our narrative so that we can immerse ourselves into someone else's narrative. Um, over the last three years, um, an opportunity opened up for Vicki and I to go on vacation in a place where it didn't cost us anything. Um, there's this couple who own a mountain in Virginia, and they built this mountain retreat on top, and there's like a couple different buildings where people can sleep in. There's a huge house, and there's a cabin, and on the other end of the mountaintop, there's a chapel that they've built. And it's an, a beautiful mountain retreat that they allow pastors of small churches just to come and get away. And so a couple of years, Vicki and I went by ourselves um, to get away. And last year, or this year actually, uh, we invited our kids to come. Um, our daughters came along. Our son wasn't able to come, but our daughters came along, and one of our daughter's friends came along with and typically, we're there from a Wednesday to a Wednesday, which means um, that we're there during a Sunday. Now, as a pastor, um, where doing church is a part of my job, the last thing my flesh wants to do on a Sunday when I'm on vacation is think about church, okay? Just keeping it real. Um, <clears throat> you're supposed to vacate your life, right? And, and yeah, so, um, so I always have this battle going on in my head on Sunday when I'm on vacation. Um, over the idea of church. Um, because, you know, I, I'm on vacation, right? Anyway, um, but because we're not vacating God when we go on vacation, we're just vacating our life, busyness, and everything. Because we're not vacating God, we always do something to put Him first, you know. Um, like the first year, um, Vicki and I went to the chapel on the other side of the mountain, and, um, read some verses and prayed and, and talked about some things that God was doing in our hearts. Uh, the second year, um, we went, Vicki and I went to uh, a small church in, in the town, that was the nearest town there. This year, with our daughters and one of our daughter's friends with, we decided that we would all go to the chapel and each of us share a scripture or something meaningful to us that sort of draws our hearts closer to God. Um, and I was expecting, you know, we'll get in there, we'll, you know, spend maybe 30 minutes sharing, and then we'd be back out on the mountain, you know, playing. Um, and so I, I shared a scripture, and um, Vicki shared a scripture, then, then Nicole, I think she shared a song, um, Jennifer shared something, and then, and then our daughter's friend, he pulled up a, a meme or something on his phone that was meaningful to him. Um, and... That led to about a three-hour discussion uh, about what he believed, what led him to those beliefs, his upbringing, his philosophy of life, most of which I just categorically disagreed with to the core of my being, right? And, and all the while, I could hear those four-wheelers calling my name. <laughs> but it was awesome. It was, I have to say, that conversation in that chapel that day was, was one of the highlights of the trip. Just, just immersing ourselves into his story. 
it, but it required dying my flesh, right? I wanted to get out and be on the four-wheelers. But we got to die to our flesh. For me to, to see the awesomeness of that moment required me to die to my flesh. Because if, if I hadn't died to my flesh and fought it the whole way, I, I could have totally missed it. It required me to die to my story so I could immerse myself in his story and understand where he was coming from. And you know what that opened the door to? Listening first opened the door to us getting to share with him. And we got to share the gospel with him. But not just some little rehearsed presentation. We got to share the full-blown gospel as it related to him and his story. We tied it in with everything that he understood and believed, and it was amazing. So what does your Christmas story look like this year? You know you have a choice in that, right? It doesn't have to be the crazy hustle and bustle that is characteristic of our culture after which you look back and sort of regret how self-centered you were, right? I want to challenge you to love someone enough to immerse yourself in their story so that their story becomes a part of your story. Love someone enough to immerse yourself into their story so that their story becomes a part of your story. And there are a couple of different fronts that I want to challenge you in this, Uh, and I I want to do this by asking you a few questions. First is, who in your life needs to be loved? Notice I didn't say who in your life deserves to be loved. I'm asking you, who in your life really needs you to love them? The beginning of loving them is to immerse yourself in their story, just like Jesus immersed himself in our story. What relationship do you have that needs some reconciliation? Maybe you're in a full-blown conflict with someone, or perhaps you have a relationship with someone with a past conflict that wasn't fully resolved yet. Um, Their story is different from your story. And people just need someone to love them enough to to immerse themselves in your story. What would it look like for you to, to leave your story and immerse yourself in their story? What would it look like for you to begin to understand why they act the way they act, right? Why they feel what they feel, why they believe what they believe. Their story is so different from yours. You know, maybe there's someone at the office who, um, who needs, just needs to be loved or someone at the office that you just need to reconcile with. You know, studies show that one out of three people in the workplace is highly annoying, Which means if you can count two people that aren't, you're probably the one. (laughs) Um, But seriously, what would it look like for you to step outside of your story and immerse yourself into their story long enough to discover why they act the way they do? Did something happen in their past that, that makes them so insecure? Did they grow up in an environment where they had to fight for everything they got? Were they victimized in some way? Were they taken advantage of in some way? 
know, rather than just sit in the comfort of your own story and judge them, maybe even get angry at them for the way they act, show them some love by stepping out of your story and stepping into theirs. It's not going to be easy. It requires you to die to your flesh, to die to yourself. But it will be awesome to see what God does in that moment. It will be awesome to see what God does when you follow his lead and step into their story and show them love just by being interested in them, by walking with them, talking with them, finding out what makes them, what's made them, who they are. And who in your life needs to be reminded that they matter? No matter what they've done, no matter what they haven't done, they need to be reminded they have value and they've been created in the image of God. So would you be willing this Christmas, this season, this week, to step out of your story to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and seek to understand the people in your life. Amen?